The ninth lesson comes from Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In John Irving's 1985 novel, The Cider House Rules, which takes place in rural Maine, there's a couple key themes centering around ultimate issues of humanity, life, morality, and ethics. One of the main scenes or places in the narrative that is later depicted in a film in the late 90s and early 2000s starring Tobey Maguire is the cider house amongst manual laborers who work this orchard and who are confronted with the struggles, the weaknesses, the troubles of what it's like to live a hard life, what it's like to work a manual labor job And as they struggle through their own lives, and they struggle through ethics, and they struggle through humanity, and even the question of life itself, they are bound to live in this particular environment referred to as the cider house. And the cider house has a set of rules that the people that live in do not appreciate. So much so that a climactic point in the narrative, they exclaim, we're not living by these rules, we have our own rules. Who wrote these rules anyway? Do they think we're crazy? Do they think that we're not human? Do they think we don't understand what it's like to live a real life? And then the foreman at one point demonstratively says, I'll tell you who wrote these rules. Somebody who doesn't live in the cider house. Somebody who doesn't know what it's like to live our lives. Somebody that doesn't know what it's like to grind apples day in and day out. And therefore, whoever wrote these rules is detached from us. Therefore, we don't have to abide by them. Many people see God just like that. A person who has set rules in place, who has set a structure of the world in place, yet is detached. It's a deistic view of God, but it's a very common view of God. But the Christian view of God is one that embodies and speaks to an intense attachment with His people. God is a God who is attached to His people, and this is seen most supremely in the fact that God took on flesh and became man. We've been reflecting upon the humanity of Jesus during this Advent season. And we should be able to find great comfort and hope that God connects with us because He feels what we feel. He experiences what we experience. Time's man of the year is Vladimir Zelensky, not surprisingly, from Ukraine. Amazing heroism seen from him, not so much in his military strategy, although that seemed to be surprisingly effective to continue to push back and curtail the Russian aggression that's happening to the Ukrainian people. 
But one of the things that's so amazing about Zelensky is he's a leader who's attached. He's not detached. He's connected. He's got many famous quotes that will come out of this year. One of them I'm sure you have heard when he was offered assistance to be exported out by Western leaders and forces. He simply said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. He embodies in many ways the humanity of Christ and what it means to be attached to his people, to be with his people. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about Jesus as a great, in fact, the greatest high priest. This priestly office is something that the people of God have known about for a long time. In the Old Testament, the priest, one day a year, would go before the Lord on the day of the atonement and give offerings and sacrifices on behalf of the people. The priest was one who had to be faithful to God and faithful to people. And Hebrews is a proclamation in chapter 4 where he says, the writer, in a sermon most likely, that Jesus is the greatest high priest. Why is Jesus the greatest high priest? Two simple reasons. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and he's tempted in every way that we are. I don't know if you've heard these verses before. You just heard them read, but I want you to let them sink in for a minute. God himself, embodied in the flesh through the person of Jesus, is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be burned out. That's a word that seems very characteristic of many lives today. I know it's characteristic of my own life. David Zoll in his book, Low Anthropology, says, Burnout describes the emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by prolonged stress. It manifests itself in restlessness, procrastination, apathy, and low-level persistent unhappiness. Sound familiar? To be burned out is to feel like you cannot take one more task. However, there is always one more task. You try too hard for too long to fulfill the demands of modern life, and then you lose the capacity to fulfill any of them. Burnout. Weakness. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with what it's like to feel weak and burned out. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with what it's like to feel shame. Unfortunately, another high characteristic of our experience of life in this world today. One of the foremost modern experts on the concept of shame, Brene Brown of the University of Houston, who became prolific through a TED Talk, and now she's a prolific writer and has become a Christian, defines shame as intensely painful feelings or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. We live lives that are filled with shame. And shame grows exponentially through three words, she says. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Jesus knows what it's like to feel shame. What do you think it felt like for him to be stripped with no clothes publicly and mocked? 
He knows what it's like to feel shame. And what Hebrews 4 is telling us is, He's with us in our shame. Brene Brown famously has said, the two most powerful words in the human language when we are struggling are me too. Hebrews 4 is a proclamation where the God of the universe, embodied in the flesh of Jesus Christ, looks at you and says, me too. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to feel weakness and burnout. And what he wants to tell you is, me too. That's why he's a great high priest. He's also a great high priest because he's been tempted in every respect that we are. This is unbelievable. When we think about Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, for one... It's not the only time that Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted every day just like you're tempted. Jesus was tempted every day to believe that God's not good. Jesus was tempted every day to reject the gospel. Jesus was tempted every day to rely on himself and not to rely on God. Jesus was tempted every day to find his hope and fulfillment and material possessions. Jesus was tempted every day to grasp for power, approval, and control. Jesus was tempted every day to not be faithful. Henry Nouwen summarizes the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 by saying that ultimately Jesus was tempted to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. Those are our temptations. We want to be relevant so bad. Our social media life is just one small manifestation of our desire to be relevant. Our thoughts and our conversations more profoundly express our desire to be relevant. We want to be spectacular. We want people to tell us good job. We would love to hear the superlative, you're the best I've ever seen. This is the best job anyone has ever done. You're the best mom ever. We want to be spectacular, and we want to be powerful. But interestingly enough, none of those characteristics are at the heart of the gospel. And so Jesus, in Matthew 4, consistently and profoundly denies the temptation to be relevant, spectacular, and powerful because he's a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and who is and was tempted in every way that we are. So what? Well, the beginning of the text says we must hold fast to the confession. Well, the confession is that we have a high priest who's great, who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who's been tempted in every respect that we are. And so what's the point of this? Well, the text ends in verse 16 saying, So draw near with confidence and boldness to the throne of grace. And what will you find at the throne of grace? You will receive mercy. And you will receive grace. We need mercy more than we need anything else. We need grace so bad we don't even know it. And we live in a culture that's built on merit, judgment, self-righteousness, and condemnation from every angle. 
But we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way that we are. Therefore, he's called us to hold fast to the confession and for us to approach, as Charles Wesley said, the eternal throne with boldness. Because you know the wonderful message of, Christian, of Christmas is the wonderful message of the gospel. And the wonderful message of the gospel is not try hard to draw near to God, to experience Him. The great message of the gospel is God has drawn near to you. He's drawn near to you in His humanity to meet you in your humanity. And as a result of Him drawing near to you, He's called us to draw near to Him with boldness and confidence so we can experience mercy and grace. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son Jesus, who is a high priest, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because He's been tempted in every respect that we are. I pray that we would believe this more deeply or we might believe this for the first time today and as a result of that, we would draw near with boldness because you've drawn near to us. Pray these things in Christ's name.